This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Here are your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti. Tonight, New York starts the 2016 season by unveiling their 2015 Supporter Shield banner at Red Bull Arena, and then goes out and loses at home in the home opener 2-0 to Toronto FC. We'll go inside the loss to the Reds, the first ever loss to Toronto at Red Bull Arena. We will preview uh, yet another Canadian club. New York goes to Montreal on Saturday afternoon, so we'll take a look into that. We'll give our predictions, our bull and cow of the week, our first, our first bull and cow of the season, actually, and then... If you're a Mike Grella fan, and, and honestly, Eric, I mean, who is not a Mike Grella fan? Everybody's a Mike Grella fan. Str- Everybody's Strong Mike Island zone. Come on. There you go. Glen Cove represent. Uh, Mike Grella comes, uh, stops by and gives, really, a terrific interview. And I think Mike is a very uh, underrated interview, and I think you'll really, really enjoy what he has to say. And then, uh, you know, w- when the club wins, the emails are sunshine and moonbeams. And when the club doesn't win, I don't want to say we're at pitchforks and torches after week one, but there's definitely uh, some concern over the team's performance, and we'll get to that. All that and a bag of chips on this week's Seeing Red. So, here we go. New York starts. They're holding the ball. They're having the ball. They're having more of the ball. They're passing it down the wings. They're passing it back. It's going back. It's Gideon Baugh's debut for the team. 63% possession. And one shot on goal for the Red Bulls, and they are able to possess and hold and not really threaten for the better part of 80 minutes. And then uh, New York gets hit on the counter once. That leads to a penalty kick call, and then again an injury time, and and that was kind of all you wrote. Um, Eric, really kind of curious. I've now watched that replay of, of the penalty kick uh, probably seven or eight times. I'm still not sure it was the right call. I only saw it. I saw it live, and then I went back and maybe watched it once or twice. When I saw it live, I did think it was a penalty. It looked like he just, you know, kind of got in there and impeded his track to the ball. I don't know if Endo would have got to that ball, but you know, if you're Kamar Lawrence, you're tracking back at the, at the tackle. You, you know, you feel like you kind of have to make with uh, the goal just gaping with uh, Luis off his line a little bit. But as you mentioned, the story on the day was just the, the lack of finishing from the Red Bulls. You know, dominating possession is great. It, it looks good on the stat sheet when you're uh, pinging the ball around, but they were pretty wasteful with the few chances they had, and they really weren't able to translate all that possession into too many concrete opportunities. I mean, you had uh, a chance for Bradley as he you know, just about rounded the keeper but hit the side netting, and then Lloyd Sam was played in and you know, hit his shot wide, so you're, if you, you miss out on those, those chances, and uh, it's, it's not too surprising that with you know, an outlet like Jovinko up top, which is clearly the route they were taking, just bombing it forward you know, once or twice, that's, that's all it takes for him to make a difference, and even on a day where he was quiet for you know 80 minutes of the match he still notches a goal and an assist so not not too surprising from the reigning MVP no and you talk about possession with purpose Toronto wasn't even engaging the Red Bulls until they crossed midfield I mean they were talking about the 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 complete inverse of the Red Bull style of play they they was they were not pressing one bit and were very very content for New York to to go down the wings and then back to the center (laughs) New York 
more than doubled Toronto's passes in the final third, 181 to 87. And this is one of those matches where you look at any uh, statistical uh, look into the match, and there's there's very little reason that you would think that New York lost this match to nothing, except when you look at that one shot on goal. Nine of New York's 11 shots were either blocked or off target, and there were there were a few shots from distance, but what seemed to be missing was that last pass, the diagonal ball into the box, the ball over the top. They certainly had a number of set pieces that really didn't come to amount to anything. Um, and then after the match, I mean, they, they, there wasn't panic on Jesse Marsh's uh, mind and coming out of his mouth, but he, he, he can't be pleased with a performance like this. No, it's definitely frustrating. I mean, you could see at the press conference afterwards, Marsh was, he was still pointing to the positives from the match, you know, as we talked about being able to, you know, have possession of the of the ball for the majority of the match and, and creating a few chances here or there. But it's it's certainly frustrating when, you know, you have Greg Vanny on his side coming in with the express purpose of just really being content to not have too much of the ball, just getting some, some numbers behind the ball and, and really just lumping it forward to Jovinko. That's all they really had in terms of going forward. No real uh, attacking threats, uh, you know, uh, through the wings or through the midfield. I mean, Michael Bradley did very well uh, to shut down a lot of uh, New York forays forward, but it's definitely frustrating when you, you know, you feel like you have the grasp on the match, but, you know, as you mentioned, those those last passes to, to really link up to, you know, find that goal just wasn't there on the night, uh, you know, on another night, maybe they, they knock in one or two goals from their chances, and this is a completely different story, but that just wasn't the case on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Lloyd Sam in the first half just glanced over the top of the bar. That goes in the net or somewhat early in the first half. It's a completely different game. But uh, it's very difficult to win MLS Cup in March, from what I understand. And while certainly losing 2 nothing at home in your home opener is not a stellar way to start a season, I mean, there, there, there's a long way to go, which is like the understatement of the century. And as you'll hear from Mike Grella, uh, I, certainly I think a bit of a wake-up call to the team in terms of what they are going to need to do in terms of their focus and execution to be able to, uh, to, be able to perform at the level that we know they can. The one, the best positive out of this match for me was number three, Gideon Ba. What a fantastic, fantastic debut um, for the Ghanaian uh, defender. I thought he did a terrific job. He was great with his feet. He took on Giovinco, dispossessed him a number of times. He seemed to link well. Obviously, in the waning moments of the game, um, got caught as the entire team did on the Delgado goal. But up, up until then, I thought he played extremely well. And this is a guy that has, hasn't even been with the team for a month yet. Yeah, he was terrific on the night. I'm pretty sure just about everybody in the locker room, if, if they had one point of praise, it was for number three, Gideon Ba. Uh, as you mentioned, it's not easy to uh, to assimilate into a new side with so many factors, you know, Joining the team late in preseason and you know getting your fitness up, learning a new system, acclimating to your teammates and, and the, the league in general, and he acquitted himself very nicely, as you said, uh, was able to dispossess Giovinco several times, uh, very comfortable on the ball, as you know we, we alluded to when he was first signed, but to see it in action was uh, was pretty nice to see. He was able to distribute nicely, you know had a couple of, of forays forward as a center back, which is pretty rare to see. 
but overall, you, you can't ask for much more, not only from Gideon, but I, I think out of the back four in general, it was a, a pretty solid performance. Obviously, looking at two goals conceded, it, it doesn't look like the best home performance defensively. Uh, but for 80 minutes, they were they were very solid. Toronto really didn't have much going. Uh, but, you know, one counterattack through Jovinko and uh, a penalty here and, you know, a lapse of judgment there. And, and all of a sudden, a 2-0 game gets away from you. Yeah. Um We'll, we'll certainly get to Bull and Cow in a minute. I, I just want to talk about, I mean, the notion that the team can be rusty in the first week of the season. Talk to me from someone that watched all of their preseason matches. This Is the speed different? Is the pressure different? Obviously, the pressure is a little different, but this is a team that, you know, and they say past performance is no indicator of, uh, of future performance, but that, that kind of strolled through their preseason pretty well, scoring a lot of goals. Yes, a lot of the games are against lesser competition, but uh, is opening night that much more intense that they would seemingly have trouble uh, clicking on all cylinders? Well, it's funny. I actually asked uh, Jesse Marsh just this today after training because, as you said, they, they look so solid in preseason. I mean, their, their last preseason match uh, up in Jacksonville against the Armada, they rolled to a 5-1 win and they looked convincing in every facet of the game. Uh, so I asked them you know, what maybe was holding them back from translating that momentum from preseason uh, to March 6th in the home opener. And he just basically alluded to the fact that it's a different beast. I mean, MLS yeah. is, you know, starting an MLS season, the, you know, the, the pressure is higher, the circumstances are a lot different. Not to mention you're getting your first real look at a full-strength MLS side, which, you know, for all the friendlies that New York played during during their time in Florida, you know, it was NASL competition, college sides, you know, some, you know, first teams that had a lot of, you know, trialists and, and USL level players in there. So this was their first real match against top tier talent. Uh, not to make any excuses, they, they, you know, obviously should be ready for the for the season, but there was definitely a lot of rust. I think that's what a lot of people uh, within the Red Bulls locker room are chalking this one up to. Just a, a lack of sharpness, maybe a little rusty coming into the first match, but as you said, lots of time to get this right. It's only one game, but uh, not the ideal start when you're, when you're starting your first game at home since 2011. No. All right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we give for the first time this season, first time in 2016, a bull and cow. I'm 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 kind of excited to hear what you're going to say. Let's start with bull of the match in a two one two one two nil home loss to Toronto FC. Your bull of the match. I have a sense I know where this. Yeah, is Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious based on the uh, the praise we just heaped on him earlier. It's Gideon Bob. I mean, he was terrific on the night. Uh, showcasing you know lots of great qualities, whether it be his pace, his passing, his tackling ability. I mean, fit in very seamlessly for uh, you know. It kind of makes you forget that this is a Red Bulls uh, center back pairing that wasn't first choice. I mean, you had Perinel and Miazga are no longer uh, on the field. Obviously, Perinel's coming back. Miazga's not. Uh, but on the day, I thought even alongside Ronald Zubar, I thought. Zubar was getting a lot of flack on social media, which I, I didn't really get. I thought he had a, a nice game as well, but in terms of the center back standouts, it was definitely Gideon Ba. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%, without a doubt. Uh, easy, e- easiest choice of the year so far. And for Cow of the Week, or non bull, I'm going to. Uh, I, I think I'm going to give mine to Salzizo. You know, for me, um, that last overlapping pass just kind of wasn't there. At the end, and I, and I, 
I know that Sal does not have the speed that his opposite number, Kamar Lawrence, on the other side of the field has, but it seemed as if he really wasn't interested in getting to the end line and crossing in. And so, you know, and in, in a day where, frankly, there were a lot of, lot of choices, a lot of attacking members of the team weren't sharp. They were shut out at home, which is extremely rare, frankly. So uh, mine's going to go to Zizo. And you, sir? Oh, this is tough. You're putting me in a tough spot now that I have to see these guys on an almost daily basis. It's making me... Uh, yeah, yeah. making me want to bite my tongue, but... Uh, if I can pop out, I'll just say the attacking core, just because it. it, it oh my God! I, listen, I, I can't pick out one player. I think I, I even talked to Dax today, and he said he pointed out him and Felipe as having subpar games. So if you want to go there, you can you can pick out Dax and Felipe as well, because it came from Dax's mouth, not mine. So, but I. I <laughs> I just, that self-nominating as cow of the week is just not going to cut it, man. <laughs> well, overall, I just think, you know, need, needing to kind of get off on the right foot, like as we said, for the first time in five years, having got off to a winning start, this was a, a perfect chance to do so, and they kind of just dropped the ball, not being able to score at home. So the collective attacking unit, let's say. Let's, let's give a big move. All right. Zizo plus attackers. A herd of cows. First time in 2016. The New York Red Bulls at 4 o'clock on Saturday will go to the Big O Olympic Stadium in Montreal, which is, if you've never been there, really something to see with its horrendous astroturf, its gaping open space, and the trash bag for the ceiling that this billion-dollar stadium built for the 1976 Montreal Olympics has. And it's uh, the irony is, is that it's so super warm this week in New York, I guess they probably could have, uh, in retrospect, played it outside um, uh, at Stade Saputo. That's not the case. Montreal won on the road in impressive fashion on opening day, winning at Vancouver 3-2. to two. Uh, Piotti was phenomenal for the impact with two goals and an assist. He also played uh, very well in a, in a friendly against the Red Bulls in Orlando earlier this spring. Um, lots of reason to be excited if you're an Impact fan, played without Didier Drogba, who will not play uh, this coming uh, week because of the awful, atrocious turf at, at Olympic Stadium. But when you're, you're knocking in three goals on the road, as Montreal did, you've got to feel good about that. The Impact was actually 0-4-4 four four in Canada away from Montreal in the league, in league play. So they had never gotten a win either at Toronto or Vancouver in their short MLS history. Uh, players to look out for, Damo Duro, the speedster up top, will certainly test both Ba and Zuba. Zuba. Uh, Harrison Ship, former Chicago Fire, had a strong match in his first match in a Montreal uniform. The aforementioned number 10, Piotti, very, very dangerous. Uh, Antevero, Lucas Antevero on the, on the right wing, 22-year-old RG midfielder. That's a bit of a journeyman sign from Galatasaray in the Turkish League in January. Of course, Eric Alexander, who was phenomenal with his play, linking and distributing and nullifying attacks uh, for the impact last week. Of course, our old friend Ambrose Oyongo is started at left back for the match. Uh, Laurent Simon, who is a member of the – was he a member of the best 11? I kind of think he was. Um, defender of the year. Def- defender of the year. Um, and they let in two goals. And then Evan Bush. And if you haven't watched the highlights – 
from the uh, Vancouver-Montreal match. I urge you to do that because Bush made some incredible acrobatic saves in this match. Uh, New York is unbeaten in six MLS matches against Montreal, 4-0-2. The last Montreal win in the series in the league was uh, three years ago, March of 2013, in Montreal, a 2-1 win. And so you know, I'm kind of wondering, playing on that awful rug, you know, perhaps Piotti is nullified somehow. Um, the ball is going to be bouncing, the poutine is going to be flying, uh, the Labats will be flowing, and the Montreal Ultras, who you know I think need a shower, will certainly be in full voice. I think I've, I've read that there are 30,000 tickets sold for this match, the first time uh, Impact fans will see Montreal this season. So all that said, very kind of, uh, I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what you think might unfurl Saturday I believe it's on MSG Plus 2. It's one of the MSG Overflow channels. But uh, what your thoughts are about Montreal? Yeah, they obviously had a, a great match against Vancouver. Not an, not an easy place to play. And Vancouver, I think, is going to be one of the better teams in MLS this year. So to go on the road and, and get a big win like that to start your season, definitely a good start, especially without your, your main man in Didier Drogba. Uh, I, I think the key here is Ignacio Piatti. The, you know, getting two goals and assists is no joke. And even from, from seeing him play uh, in their friendly down in Florida against the Red Bulls, uh, I was just in awe of how, you know, how great he is on the ball. He's always composed. He always manages to find, you know, the little pockets in behind the defense and, you know, can destroy defenses that way. So I think he'll definitely be someone to have to look out for, as well as you mentioned, Dalmo Duro, who's, you know, always killer with pace. He always finds a knack for, uh, for being the Red Bulls, it seems like. So they'll have to keep an eye on him. But, uh, Definitely going to be uh, important for the Red Bulls to get back on track. That they won't want to let this losing, you know, turn into a streak. I should say, uh, after dropping the first one. So, I don't think they'll uh, get on in the win column yet. But I do think they'll manage a one-one draw if we're going to go predictions. Yeah, we can go right to predictions. I actually called it a two-two draw. I think New York is going to uh, get on the board. I, I'm not, despite Laurent Simon, I, I'm not so entrusting. Of uh, of the Montreal backline, so I think uh, once again I called it last week. I'll call it again. BWP and Grella with the goals uh, in a two-two draw. I'm I'm kind of looking and looking back. The last uh, impact to score was the last game. Of course, was uh, when Drogba scored. Um, uh, in the 2-1 win, and Damo Duro had a goal last year against the Red Bulls as well. And that odd, that strange summer game back in August where Lloyd Sam had that really weird goal, it kind of rolled into the back of the net, and Damo Duro scored in a 1-1 draw. When we are back on seeing red, we have number 13 for the New York Red Bulls, Mike Grella, in a phenomenal interview that you simply must stay for, won't you? We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti, coming to you every week. Week one of MLS 2016 is in the books, and one of the men out on the field uh, is our guest tonight, starting his second season with the club, a breakout 2015 where he scored nine goals and seven assists and was named a finalist for League Newcomer of the Year, along with Didier Drogba and Sebastian Giovinco. It's his second time on Seeing Red, although he did make a very, very important appearance at the Seeing Red Holiday Party, and that's Mike Grella. How are you tonight, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you guys? 
We're very, very happy that you were able to join us. Uh, let's start with this. It, it seemed like, watching you guys on Sunday, that there was uh, a bit of a challenge in the final third. You were on the field. You were in the final third. Talk to us about what it was like playing against eight players in the box trying to stop you. Yeah, I think it was tough. You know, I went back, and I was not happy with uh, my performance, and, and even just the front floor in general. I just thought we could have been a lot sharper for sure. Um, I went back home that night and watched the game. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, for sure, you know, there was there was uh, I froze I froze the game at certain times, and for sure, there, you know, sometimes they were stacked with six at the back. And you know, Bradley played very deep. Uh, Michael Bradley for Toronto played very deep. Um, you know, he played like five yards off the center back. So at times it was really really congested. And going back and watching it was helpful because. You know, it it, uh, it explained a lot. You know, we weren't able to get going. A lot of it was due to, and credit to Toronto, the way they played and the way they really stuffed up the um, the middle of the field and, and, and sat back on them. Mike, uh, during preseason, during those friendlies, and, and even during training, I saw you playing out wide where you usually were during 2015 on the left wing. Uh, we also saw you up top uh, in a two-forward formation. That seemed to be the case uh, on Sunday against Toronto where you were paired with Bradley. Uh, how does that change things for you? I know you're a natural forward, but playing in a two-forward setup, what was that like for you? Playing with two uh, up front, uh, you know, I enjoy all the positions. Um, but playing with two up top, especially with Bradley, I feel like it couldn't be a dangerous combination because he's so... And he's a great finisher. He's so fast. He's such a well-rounded player that that uh, you know playing up top with him, uh, I like to think of myself as someone to create chances as well as score them. I think that could be a good combination. Um, I also like playing out wide because it puts me in a lot of one v one situations. It gives me width. It gives the team width. And uh, I like playing as a midfielder in the four four in the four two 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 because. Uh, you know, then I, I get to link play a lot more. So everything has its uh, advantages, uh, and I enjoy playing anywhere in the attack, really. So, you know, my roles change slightly, but uh, for the most part, for me especially, it's you know, whatever I can do in the day to help the team um, and always try to be a threat and, and be dangerous. Mike, it, it seems like teams have kind of figured out the game plan for holding the high-powered offense back, and that's to stack the box and try to hit New York on the counter and find success. And we saw it a couple of times last year. We've obviously seen it. What what has to change for you guys to be able to solve um, for teams that are just going to sit and allow you to expend energy running at them? Well, I think even last year it was a crucial point in the season when we had that four-game slide. And, uh, you know, the same sort of conversation was going on. Have teams figured us out already? Have teams decided to sit back? And, and have they figured out the Red Bull way? And I don't think there's a necessarily a way to, to figure out the way we play or to play against us. I think, uh, you know, we always want to play high energy, high pressing. That's who we are. It's a big piece of our identity. So, for sure, they didn't figure us out last year, and for sure, I don't think they're going to figure out figure us out this year. I mean, last year we uh, we led the league in goals for, I, I'm pretty sure, and and uh, you know, we, you just have to stick through it. And you make small alterations. You go back to the video room. You you know, you put things under the microscope. Uh, without a doubt, we need to be sharper. Um, and and uh, I think if we stick to what we're good at, and, and we keep and keep working on the things that we're good at. 
that uh, for sure I, I don't think it's possible for, for teams to, you know, simply figure us out or, or uh, you know, if there's a system against us. I know some people think that playing, sitting back against us is, is effective, but, um, you know, on a day where we're sharper, you know, we had a lot more um, dangerous chances than them. And on a day where we're sharper and we get one of those goals, I think that sort of unlocks them and gets us the result. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to take away from the game. There's a lot to learn from the game. There's a lot of positives to take as well. But for sure, it's not the start we wanted. And, uh, you know, we'll look at things a lot closer and make sure we get them right next time around. Mike, after the match on Sunday at Red Bull Arena, you know, in, in the locker room, I, I came up to you and, and asked you about last season's success coming out of the gates, you know, pretty strong with that seven-game unbeaten streak. And now, you know, on the flip side this season, you guys come out and lose your first one. And, you know, you, I th- thought you had an interesting quote uh, in, that, in response to that. You said, the lesson that we'll learn here today is probably more valuable than even being undefeated so far into the season. Can you, can you just delve a little bit more into that and what, what your thinking is behind that? Yeah, I just think uh, you know, we have very we have very intelligent uh, staff. We have very intelligent players around this place, and and I think you know, like you said, it is it is a little bit of an issue. Team sitting back against us, it is uh, an issue when we lose games and when we can't figure things out when we're not sure as sharp as we want to be. For sure, those are all things that we need to revisit. I think if we have come away with a win or come away with even a draw. You know, maybe we can we can still have that chip and say, hey, you know, we're undefeated. Hey, we, we tried our best. But for sure, when you lose a game, it really opens up eyes and it really opens up your eyes and it really makes you look go back to the drawing board and make sure you're check we're checking everything off and make sure we're doing the things we want to do and progressing the way we want to progress. So, you know, for sure, it's uh, even before the game we celebrate the supporter shield. But for sure, it's a good. What I mean by that, that we learn our, our lesson or more valuable lesson by losing that first game is for sure now that was a close on, on 2015, close the chat, close the book, close the chapter. And, and it was, a, it was definitely awakening, you know, that this is a new year, uh, you know, slightly different team, uh, slightly different, you know, mentality in the way we want to progress. And, you know, whatever we did last year is over. And whatever, you know, we have to start from square one and really bust our guts again to, to get things right, bust our guts in the training pitches, bust our guts on the, for 90 minutes in the games. And because uh, 2016 is a new year. So for sure that was, uh, um, you know, uh, an eye-opener. That's a great segue, Mike, into our next question, which is what's different for you as a returning player rather than a new player? Coming in, as you said, same coach, same system, new wrinkles, some new players, but you're now part of the core of an established team that's won a title. What's been different since you returned to the team uh, at the start of training camp? Uh, Honestly, not too much. Just... uh you know, uh, having a having a uh, certainty, ha- having a uh, um, you know, knowing that you're going to be somewhere for the next two years is is a really nice thing. Seeing all my all my friends uh, again, you know, these guys that I love playing with, I love being a part of them. Seeing them all again was was really really nice, and you know, be, being with the management again and sort of picking up where we left off is nice, and not always having to start from scratch. Um, you know, and that's all aspects of it, soccer wise, uh, you know, friendship wise, uh, trust wise. Um, and, and so that, that was nice and comforting. Um, 
but for sure, personally, it doesn't change too much for me because you know, I found success by really working, uh, you know, relentlessly and working so hard every single day in training. And for sure, I think I'll find the same successes this year by doing the same thing. So for me, it doesn't change too much. You know, I need to play with that uh, with that sense of urgency, that sense of uh, sense of pride, a sense of almost desperation that I came in with last season, and that's uh, sort of the key for me. Yeah, you, you just mentioned last season you were pretty much the, the breakout star during preseason as you came in on trial and, and earned yourself a contract. Uh, but from being down there in Florida this year, I, it, it seems to be the consensus that Gonzalo Verón was that this year's breakout star, and he uh, really came into his own after coming in midseason. What's that been like, you know, being a, an attacking player that he is? Do you guys uh, have a little bit of competition there? Does he push you? How does that relationship work out? Um, you know... Gonzalo is a great addition to the team, uh, no question about it. And uh, there's there's a lot of games this season. There's going to be a lot of tough games. We have a huge target on our back this year, whether you know, people think that or not. I mean, I know a lot of teams who want to give our, their best against us. Um, I thought we were the best team last year, so for sure. Um, there's going to be a lot of challenging games up ahead. There's going to be, um, you know, injuries. There's going to be you know, loss of form, gains of form. I mean, there's just no way to to tell what the what the season holds. And, and, and uh, so to have a, a good squad and a bigger squad is, is something that's going to be good for, uh, good for the team and good for the organization. Mike, last year was a phenomenal year for you. You're first in New York. You scored the thousandth goal in team history to announce your arrival with the club. You scored the fastest goal in league history against Philadelphia, and then you nutmegged Frank Lampard in front of the home fans and then dished off the winning assist in the game. What what are the what are the goals for you for this season? And do you feel like you've really proved yourself and made a statement with you everything that happened in 2015? Uh, to to win the MLS Cup for me is 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 a goal. It's a difficult one to achieve, but we're all on the same page with that, and then that's what that's what I want to accomplish. That's why I go to work and work as hard as I can every single day because although. All those great things happened for me personally last year and for the team. You know, there were so many, so many great moments in the team and won the Supporters' Shield. I think the main goal and the big one is, is the MLS Cup. So although all those great things happened, it was sort of an empty feeling at the end of the season. And um, you know, to sort of fulfill it and sort of feel accomplished, I think for sure this great group of guys, this great organization, this great staff, they really deserve – something as big as the MLS Cup. So for me, that's my, you know, my, even my personal goal and the team's goal this season for sure. And, it, and you know, no question, it won't be easy, but uh, it's something that we're going to really, really fight for this year. Mike, before we let you go, as we've been speaking to you, we've put out in Twitter that we are speaking to you live and asked for fan questions. And Andrea Kahn has written in and said, how many matching outfits do you and your son have? She loves she loves Mini Grella on Instagram, cutest kid ever. She says. Oh yeah, well thank you. Um, you know I, I don't I don't really even know. Uh, you know uh, my uh, my wife is in charge of all that at that department. So I think she I think she sort of uh, you know she organizes that and tries to buy him clothes that I already have and stuff like that. So I, I think that's how it's working out. But. Um, 
but uh, for sure, you know, it's always fun to put stuff like that on Instagram and um, really proud dad and, and uh, you know, um, to put that stuff on Instagram and people actually enjoying it is, is, is nice to know. Mike Grella wears number 13 for the New York Red Bulls. Mike, it's been so great speaking with you tonight. Best of luck this season, and we'll speak to you as the season rolls on. Thanks very much, guys. Have a good night. Your emails after this short break at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark and Eric. Hello. So glad you're listening. If it's your first time listening, or even if it's your not, if it's your 246th time listening, you know that the third segment is all about you. SeeingRedNY at gmail.com, 973-602-9161. We don't, we don't get the calls. We love to have the calls. The emails are great. Tell you what, write an email and then call the line and read the email on the phone so you don't have to ad-lib it. Because we love taking your voice and literally putting it in the show. And I think people feel good about that. Oh, we have stickers. Did you hear about the stickers, Eric? I saw them on Twitter, but they're conspicuously absent from my house. Tomorrow night, uh, as we get together for an OG Sing Red Drinks, uh, crew drinks, I think there'll be some stickers that I can float you. If you want stickers, write us at seeingitredny at gmail and uh, send your mailing address. We'll send you some stickers. Why not? Five emails for you. We're not really ready to do best of. We're going to get there. We're working on prizes with the team. Hope to get some good prizes for you this year. We're not quite there yet. Here we go. Opening week for everyone. Jonathan Geisler writes, this email is about the psychology of the fan. Consumers of most goods and services, oh boy, typically see value as an economics determinant. I think we're all going to school here. Bang for the buck, so to speak. And it goes without saying, then, the ticket price is starting at less than 30 apiece. An afternoon in Harrison is one hell of a return on investment. But support goes beyond that. Fans are not consumers. The value fans assume from attending sporting events is more an emotional decision than anything else. So how do you develop and maintain that emotion? Community outreach? That's been a focus of the club since before the Grand Prix days, and I haven't noticed a marked difference. I also keep hearing the line, just win. Just win. All we've been doing lately has been winning. Two supporter shields in three seasons, and the best record across all of MLS last regular seasons, last three regular seasons. So what gives? The 10,000-plus core Red Bull fans that have been there since the Swamp Days, rain or shine, losing record or winning record, no matter what, they are the animated force behind a professional sports team, not the casuals who can take it or leave it on any given day. What is it going to take to convert those casual fans into serious, reliable supporters? What's the key to growing a highly identified, ardent fan base that can be relied upon to consistently demonstrate their support, not once or twice a year, but on a weekly basis, despite the many obstacles that come with a trip to Red Bull Arena? Thanks, guys, and thanks, Eric, for taking my dream job. Love the show. I haven't missed an episode since day one. Keep up the great work, Jonathan Geisler. Jonathan is retur- uh, referring to the fact that there were not as large a crowd on opening day when you're unfurling a banner and introducing new players to the team. And after a long, cold offseason, then I think a lot of people would have hoped. And we hope to bring you Mark Grand Prix at some point on Seeing Red in the near future, just to talk in general about business and ticketing issues. But 
I'll I'll be perfectly honest with you, Eric. I was disappointed with the crowd size. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to see a sellout every time. You'd love to see a full twenty five thousand, but that's just so rarely the case. Is you know, for whatever reason, fans have prior commitments. They just can't do the travel. You know, in terms of of making these lifelong fans that show up consistently, I think that one's tough to say. There, as I just mentioned, there are lots of variables. I mean, I know for for me when I was going to games, it was uh, it's it's a great. A great day out when you're uh, when you're able to go watch a Red Bulls game, but it basically is your entire day if you're if you're going out to do it. Uh, there are, there are ways to you know to definitely enjoy that. You can tailgate. There's the Boulevard. There's lots of different things. Uh, but in terms of making a, a lifelong fan that'll show up day in and day out, I think it's just a matter of you know getting them to the stadium because I, I think the Red Bulls put on one of the best game day experiences in MLS. They, the, the stadium is obviously second to none, and you know the amenities that they have are. are pretty great so i think if you just get them out there to a game and they see the product as as uh, jonathan mentioned the team is winning so that kind of speaks for itself it's just a matter of kind of getting the butts in the seats and and letting them know that it's definitely worth it to make the trip out to harrison the one saving grace if there was a saving grace and you know the the announced crowd was 21,000 which as always always in professional sports is not a turnstile count it is tickets paid and distributed it is never an actual turnstile count, and and you know there weren't twenty one thousand people there, and that that's okay, I guess. But um, the the logo side was actually more full than I thought it would be, and we've read stories from uh, our friend Chris Dyer who had said that uh, we there was a significant bump in season ticket sales of renewals and season ticket sales. Um, Listen, I guess there are people that thought that 42 degrees on March 6th was just too cold. Uh, I can only imagine. Kids, let me tell you about when it was actually cold during the winter. Uh, I would have taken 42 degrees on March 6th and sunny just about any day of the week. And um, if you're a season ticket holder, I think they sent you scarves. So uh, it, it, it was... I was disappointed. I was disappointed with the size of the crowd. Um, I have every uh, indication and uh, belief that the, they actually were distributing 21,000 seats, and they probably had anywhere between five and 6,000 no-shows. And that's, that's a real shame. And, and no-shows are a fact of life in every sport. They just are. They just are a fact of life. And there are upgrade apps and... There's StubHub, and there are different places that people that have purchased the tickets uh, are looking to dump them. Um, no one should be turning themselves away from a Red Bulls match because they believe it's too expensive, because there are lots and lots of opportunities to come uh, at a bargain price compared to other sports uh, in the area. That said, um, you know, I don't know how else you, you, would you incent ticket owners and ticket holders to come when you know they're actually holding on to seats. But we've only been talking about this for 20 years, so maybe we'll continue this moving forward. Here's Nick Farachi who writes, Hello, Mark and Eric. So anticlimactic, you might call the first home start in years. The game itself was also underwhelming, with the Red Bulls controlling the game without necessarily dominating it. TFC seemed uninspired and unimpressive, and Giovinco's desperate shot from about 40 to 50 yards out at one point, which was so floaty... Robles could have smoked a cigarette before backpedaling into it. Really seemed to sum up the game to that point. I thought the league's MVP was poor, partly a testament to our backline's efforts. Around 60 minutes or so, the team started to look very tired, an understandable thing on opening day. Sadly, of course, we have not 
We did not have Verone to come on and enact the much-vaunted Plan B, but certainly the coaches had to see by around 70 minutes that some guys were dead on their feet. For me, the introduction of Davis was particular, in particular, was much too late. Dave pointed out on the show last week that the team is lacking veteran depth, and I couldn't help wondering if a more experienced player would have been brought on 10, 15, or even 20 minutes earlier. I'm not damning the team for a single loss by any means, but, it's, but is it excusable to write off the home opener because we don't have strong options off the bench? Is it okay to say that it will take time to settle and that the young players will get their opportunities as, as the season goes on? To put it in a bigger context, which may not even play out as the season goes on, fingers crossed, is the team looking too hard for the future and not enough for the present? Your thoughts, if you will, best, best regards. Uh, that's Nick Farchi. Um, well, I, I guess the, the question is, and Eric, obviously we want your thoughts as well, if... Um, if they don't allow that counter and they walk out of there with a scoreless draw, which probably would have been a fairer result given the amount of possession that New York had, would that have been more disappointing? Would, would that have been equally negative, that they were simply able to break through against a team that was bunkering, but they were able to hold them off? I mean, Sean Davis is a fine option off the bench. I don't, I don't really know. What's your thought, Eric? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at their bench, and uh, you know, you, you can you can talk about their depth, but if you you know run down the the, the lineup on their bench, you have Connor Laid and, and Chris Duval, both of whom have been starters, and I think would be starters on other teams. You know, Carl, we met Sean Davis again. I think would could and would be starters on other teams. So it, they have options off the bench to come in. Uh, you know, whether or not they were used early enough, I, I'm not sure. That it's a good question for Jesse. But you know, it's obviously frustrating when teams come in and and play negative football, and and the Red Bulls aren't able to break it down. I do think Gonzalo Verón would have made a difference on the day, just judging on what I saw in preseason. Uh, he was yep. a definitely key factor in. in in helping to break down those defenses with his pace. So, yeah, it's it's definitely frustrating when, you know, as we said, you have a home opener and, and you kind of fall flat. But I, I think it's it's too early to, to kind of just throw this away. Again, this is a team, you know, we, we all clamor for consistency and, and low turnover. Yep. And here we are. We have it, basically. It's, I mean, Gideon Bob's basically the only new introduction to this team. So this is a side that won the Supporters' Shield most points in the league. So, you know, definitely don't want to blow it up and start all over. Uh, I think they have made some, you know, you can argue, as Dave said, that they didn't make enough veteran additions, but they're going with the youth movement. I think uh, we need to at least give it time to see if that's the right avenue to take, whether they can make an introduction or I should say an impact right away. Uh, which was a great statement given our opponent this week. Here is the Red Bulls bench on Sunday. Kyle Rainish, we met Sean Davis, Chris Duvall, Connor Lage, Sean Wright Phillips, and, and Abang. And Sean Wright Phillips, who is certainly experienced coming in, uh, played a bit. Abang came in, and, and Davis was first off the bench. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think obviously you can you, you look back and think about things that you could have done a little bit differently. But remember, up until the 75th minute, New York continued to have the better of the possession, and at times looked threatening. You know, there was that one instance where both BWP and Grello were right in the same place at the same time, and okay, 
you know, this might have been a case of just trying to do too much and take control of the game, but they were they were desperate to score. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens this week in Montreal and to see if things change. Here's Jeff Goldstein who writes, Mark and Eric, I think the Red Bulls need to find a way to score from distance. I look back at the games last year at Orlando and at Portland where Question and Felipe hit their bombs from midfield. Once the Red Bulls score and then other teams can't play this stuff-the-box style that had clearly frustrated them, even BWP acknowledged post-games that teams won't continue to play this way if the Red Bulls strike first. So how do they break through? Is it a matter of sharpness, execution, and getting Verone back? Would love to hear your thoughts, Jeff in Manhattan. I mean, yes, um, there were a couple of shots from outside. I think there is, there, they took two sh- of their 11 shots. Two were from outside the box. Uh, on the other hand, Toronto had one, two, three, four, five, six. So, yeah, at times on Sunday, it appeared as if they were trying to be a little too cute and get a little closer to the goal than maybe they needed to. But they were also facing, as Mike Grella said, six and sometimes eight players in the box. And yes, yeah, sometimes you just want to throw it into the mixer and hopefully you get a nice deflection and off you go. But um, I, that's what I think. Eric? Well, yeah, I think that's the thinking they had towards the end of the game when you saw them uh, just threw on Anatola Bong. You're kind of hoping you, you throw a big body on there and, and maybe you can make something happen through the air or you know a scramble in the box. Uh, but in, in terms of you know taking more shots outside the box, he referenced you know Felipe and Kleshen's goals last season. Yes, those are great. Uh, they're kind of a dime of... You know, dime a dozen in terms of you know how how rare it is to to see it, but it's it's not really something you can count on, and especially when you know as Grella mentioned, there's lots of times where teams just congest the middle of the field, and it's it's not it's not as easy to just step up and you know and really put your laces through a ball because yeah. it, there's really not that much space in the midfield, so they're trying to you know frustrate teams with one touch passing, you know, quick movements, but it, it just wasn't there on the night. I think. The, as we said, the final pass was really just missing on the night. If they were able to link one more pass, just, you know, as we said, Bradley rounded the keeper, was nearly there. Lloyd was in, just missed his shot. Uh, I do think a lot of this is down to sharpness, and I, of course I do think yep. Verone coming back will, will uh, be a big help. So I think it's a combination of all these things. Yeah, Bradley seemed to get the ball stuck in his feet a number of times during the match, and you just can tell that uh, you know he needs to, to tighten it up a little bit, to his own admission. Here's Ira Jersey. There's a lot to be... There's a lot to be optimistic about uh, Sunday versus Toronto, but my 11-year-old said after 90 minutes, I don't think we had a shot on net. I said there was definitely one block, but beside that, just one shot on net, and even with 63% possession, it's hard to see how Toronto outshot us. This happened a few times last year, too. We just need to shoot more, even outside the box, echoing the previous email. You get a lucky deflection, handball, good bounce to a teammate, but you need to shoot. Will Jesse work on folks taking more shots? By the way, except for the Kamar PK, I thought the, black, the back line played well. Ba and Zubar held their own. We, we agree with you completely. So uh, very, very similar as, it, as uh, the notion that Jesse will work on folks taking more shots. I think he will certainly bring that up. And then last, Jeff Howard. Morning, guys, for what, is worth, what it's worth. Here's a few thoughts on the match. While I felt we controlled possession throughout the match, we couldn't capitalize when we got close to the net, which obviously goes with that saying. It was game one, and no one should be concerned. We will just start clicking and putting them in the back of the net. A couple of errant passes by Dax. Others were just rust in my eyes. I felt Ba was solid in his Red Bulls debut, and I look forward to seeing him teamed up with Damien once he's back. Side note, I felt Zubar played well yesterday, even though others had bashed him. Thanks, guys. Look forward to hearing the week's episode. Uh, Damien Paranel, 
back in New Jersey and back in Hanover today, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I actually uh, had a chance to catch up with him, and he was uh, he was in good spirits. He was very uh, very happy to be back, uh, very happy to be back in, in in Hanover amongst his teammates, and uh, he's looking good. He said his, his knee is is feeling better every day. Uh, he's now, I think, you know, just over three months uh, removed from his surgery, so still a, still a little bit to go in terms of uh, seeing him back on the pitch, but definitely an encouraging sign to see him back amongst his teammates and, uh, you know, giving us a little update on, on how he's coming along. Uh, I know that Jesse had said previously publicly that May is when they're shooting for him to come back. Is that still the timetable as you understand it? Uh, I don't want to speculate. Uh, he didn't really get into just when he'll be back, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll defer to, to Jesse and Damien on that one. All right. Good man. Uh, That's our show. Thank you so much for listening tonight. It's good to have a review, and it's good to have a preview. Uh, Again, the match is Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern. And uh, again, once again, it's it's MSG Plus 2. It's definitely on MLS Live. It is on one of the MSG Overflow channels. Uh, kicking off at 4. So we hope you uh, will tune into that. Or if you're one of the 150 strong that are going to the matchup in Montreal, loud and proud as always. We'd like to thank Mike Grella for being our guest tonight. And we'd like to thank you for listening. Eric Giacometti calls it a 1-1 draw. I call it a 2-2 draw in Montreal against the Impact. And we'll be back next week to talk about it on next week's episode of Seeing Red. Thanks so much for listening. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Since 2010, your New York Red Bulls podcast. Find us at New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, BackHeel.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.